It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is Trey. Thank you for joining us for a Thursday edition. Hope everyone is having a fantastic April. I guess we're getting close to halfway through it. Um, Mary Langston, my wife tells me that there's a new addition uh, to your extended family and that you are now an aunt. Um, That's correct. And my wife is usually a very trustworthy person, so I can't believe that she would make that up. Uh, congratulations to you, and uh, we hope everyone is doing well. Well, thank you so much. We're super excited. It's I'm an aunt for the first time, so we're learning and we're excited. And I have two younger brothers, as you know, Trey, and they're very happy. So everybody's happy and healthy. So thanks. Well, for that's asking. good. Yes, that's sir. good. Um, you know, I won't. I won't go too much into this because most people know exactly what I mean by this, but marriage changes your life a little bit. Children changes your life a lot. Mm-hmm. So uh, very happy for them uh, beginning uh, the most expensive form of entertainment known to mankind, which is having a child. So, and it's a girl. So even more, Oh my <laughs> heavens, that, yeah, well, I, you know, from experience, I'm sure I do. A daughter is a daughter forever. Um, mm. A son is a son until you can convince their mom that it's time for them to go start working. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it's not true. I mean, that's the other thing I, you know, I laugh. I used to, well, my sisters used to accuse my mom of having a favorite, which actually secretly she did. But my mom would just laugh. I mean, at the notion that a parent would would have a favorite, um, you love them differently, but you love them equally, if that makes sense. So mm. right now, she's got the world to herself um, and she'll always be the if if they if they have others, she'll always be the big sister. And if they don't have others, then she'll always be uh princess. What are they gonna call her? Her name's Jenny. Jenny, Princess Jenny. <laughs> it has a ring to it. Uh well, she's also lucky. She could not possibly have a nicer aunt. Well, you're sweet to say and that. We're so excited. One more prone to spend every bit of discretionary income she has on that child so that's true it's already All right, started well we probably don't have any questions so it's been great visiting with you and <laughs> let you get back we to babysitting. Do. we have oh we do we have a lot of questions today oh, no. they're great as always oh my um, god so i guess we better get started we don't have your lawyer present but i think you can handle these yeah, well, um, I'm having a hard time keeping a lawyer, so um, we'll <laughs> we'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and head and I'll see what I can do with these anyway. Okay, that sounds great. Well, we'll get started. I hope y'all had a wonderful Easter weekend for those who celebrate. Um, we'll get started with our first question. It's from Chris, and he writes: Is there a way to reconcile ignorance of the law is not a defense, 
with the need for intent to be proven in some or all prosecutions? Uh, that is such a fascinating question. Mm. Ignorance of the law. Is there a way to reconcile that uh, with intent? You know, Chris, that uh, question has actually been the downfall of many law students over the course of time. And if you if you want to see uh, the 12 most confused people on Earth, then you should listen in as a judge tries to explain to a jury the difference between general intent and specific intent. So here, I'm going to take a crack at it, um, but just understand it is extraordinarily confusing. And I know you didn't ask about the difference between specific and general intent, but it it matters in the context of your question. So as a general rule, ignorance of the law is no defense, but there could be an exception in a specific intent case. And of course, ignorance of the law is, you know, violating a law, violating a regulation, violating a statute in the home I grew up in, violating one of my father's 1000 rules, mm -hmm. but you didn't know about it. So that's when I first heard ignorance of the law is no excuse. I didn't hear it from a judge or a lawyer. I heard it from my dad. And ordinarily, that is correct. I mean, you stop and think about it. I mean, you would think that everybody knew that murder was against the law. But what if you ran into somebody that was dumb enough not to know? Or what if you ran into somebody? Oh, gosh, I had no idea. I couldn't take a knife into the convenience store and get whatever I wanted. So it is no defense. However, this is where it gets a little bit tricky. You can have a mistake or ignorance of a fact as opposed to ignorance of the law. You see the difference? Ignorance of a fact mm. as opposed to ignorance of the law. And could the ignorance of a fact, the not knowing of a fact, could that be a defense? Yeah, it could be. In the broadest of terms, general intent is whether or not a person intended to commit the act, okay? It's irrelevant whether or not you intended to break the law. Did you intend to commit the act, okay? And I'll give you an example of that. Um, this is a pretty absurd example, so I'll use it because I don't think it would ever happen. I hope it would never happen. Mm -hmm. But let's assume, Mary Langston, that you um, held the first gun you've ever held in your life. And you said, you know, Trey, I like you most of the time, not all the time, uh, but most of the time. And I really am getting sick of your sarcasm, um, but I don't want to hurt you. So I'm going to shoot you in the leg, but I could not be more clear. I don't want anything bad to happen to you other than for you to feel the stinging sensation of this 22 caliber projectile. But I don't I'm, I'm telling you up front, Trey, I do not want anything bad to happen to you. And I certainly do not want your life to end. OK, you with me? I'm with you. Oh, my. You've, you you have verbalized as much as you can. You do not want me to die. Mm. OK. Mm -hmm. So you shoot me in the leg. And it hits an artery. Mm. 
and bad luck for both of us, it's lights out. What's the charge? What's the proper charge? Well, I hope that never happens. I know. Well, I said I was picking an absurd hypothetical, but I mean, I could pick my wife, but I don't think that would happen with her either. But no. I mean, the list of people I couldn't pick is pretty slim. <laughs> and basically, you and Terry, and, she, and she's forbidden me from mentioning her name on my podcast for the next <laughs> month. Her name. So what the proper charge is murder. Mm. So it doesn't matter that you didn't intend I mean, people, look, I mean, I'll take you out of it because I know how uncomfortable you are with that fact pattern. <laughs> but I have prosecuted cases where, I mean, pick, I mean, how about um, felony DUI? Mm. Somebody um, goes to the bar, drinks too much, gets in a car. The furthest thing from his or her mind is hurting someone. No intent to hurt anyone. And yet you do. Mm. So did you intend the act, not the consequence, but the act? Did you intend to drink and drive? Did you intend to fire the weapon? Those are general intent cases. And ignorance of the law is of no consequence there. It, it, it doesn't matter. But there are cases there are what we call specific intent cases where the crime requires the defendant to intentionally commit an act, which we've already talked about, and intend to cause a particular result when committing that act. So you with me? Again, I mean, this is this is like second or third year law school stuff. Mm-hmm. You intend to commit the act and, and, and you intend the consequence of the act. That is specific intent. I'll give you an example. Uh, there's a state law which defines aggravated battery as intentional and harmful physical contact with another. So you intend the physical <laughs> harmful contact with another. That's general intent, right? That's what we've already learned. The statute goes on to say, with the intent to maim or disfigure, that's a separate intent, right? Mm. That's a more specific intent. So what if you had the general intent to call physical harm or contact, but not the more specific intent to maim or disfigure? Maybe, maybe the... Failure to intend the consequence would be a defense. Hmm. So that is a much longer answer than what he had in mind. But ignorance of the law is no defense, period. There are circumstances, but he also asked about intent. Hmm. Intent, I mean, almost every statute says you know, willful, intentional. Well, actually, I'm, I'm not going to get into this because I'm already like 20 minutes over the time that you and Terry have given me to answer questions. <laughs> but there are criminal statutes that don't require that level of uh, scienter or mens re or intent. Like reckless. There's something called reckless homicide. There's something called involuntary manslaughter. So 
We'll leave it here. As a general rule, most crimes are general intent. Did you intend to commit the act? And then you own the consequences of that act, period. There are some crimes where you have to intend both the general act and the specific consequences. And then there are some crimes that require lower levels of intent, like negligence or recklessness. Mm. All right, there. I mean, I saved you, you know, a semester of unmitigated agony <laughs> in law school. I was school. just thinking you just saved us a year at law school. <laughs> yeah, but the, here's the thing. Nobody understands it any better than I do right now. I mean, I, I still... I mean, I, I sat in, what, 100 trials and listened to mm. the judge tell the jury the difference between specific and general intent, and I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I think I do, but there's no way in the world somebody hearing it for the first time is going to say, aha, I have it now. So that that's the best I can do with that law school exam question. Well, thank you for breaking it down for us, Trey. And thank you, Chris, for that question. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Our next question is from Jim in New Mexico. He writes, with Fetterman being absent from the Senate for several weeks now and back in Pennsylvania for a while, what does that do to the balance of power in the Senate, given the three independent senators? Well, first of all, there's nobody left listening to the podcast, Mary Langston. They all <laughs> gave up when I decided to give an hour long answer to the last question. I mean, do no. you, you want me to keep going? Yes, of course. Okay. Uh, three independent senators. Um, I guess they're talking about Senator Kirsten Sinema from Arizona, Senator Angus King from Maine, I believe it is, and Senator Bernie Sanders from Vermont. They are listed as independent, but they all three caucus with the Democrats, which is what gives the Democrats the majority. And that's what empowers Chuck Schumer to run the Senate and set the calendar and uh, chair the committees. So I think with Senator Fetterman being absent, um, it well, actually, it was a combination of Senator Fetterman being out and Senator Dianne Feinstein from California also being out. I think she was also sick. I mean, don't hold me to that, but I think she was or maybe had a family member that was sick. So all of a sudden, their margin is way down. Uh, but the reality is they control the calendar and the floor. So they're not going to call up any bills or nominations where there's a chance that it won't pass. So, yes, while he was out, I mean, the balance of power is not impacted by the independent senators. I don't mean to minimize the independence of Kirsten Sinema. She was very, very independent when I was in the House with her. Uh, and she was also universally uh, liked by people on both sides of the aisle. I know. Our friends at Politico and the New York Times don't like to hear that, but mm -hmm. but she was. Um, even by people who didn't vote with her, they respected her and liked her. I'm not sure that Angus King, I mean, I'm sure he's a wonderful guy. I've never met him, but I'd be shocked if he didn't vote with the Democrats you know, 100% of the time. I'd be shocked. 
and Bernie Sanders, I, I don't think anybody like considers him to be in the middle between Republicans and Democrats. The, the reason I, he's independent is because the Democrats aren't liberal enough for him. So there's no balance of power issue. They caucus with the Democrats and they vote with the Democrats for the most part, all except Senator Sinema. But it does impact Senator Fetterman being out with Senator Feinstein being out does impact the speed with which they can move now because Republicans control the House. It's not like any legislation is going to pass and go to President Biden's desk anyway. I mean, not anytime soon. So really, you're talking about slowing down nominations and the confirmation process. Mm. That would be the impact. Well, thank you so much, Trey, for answering that question. And thank you, Jim. Our next question is from another Jim, but in South Carolina. He writes, the Texas governor seems quick to pardon Sergeant Perry, but he was convicted by a jury. If it was so clear that the sergeant should be released, what did the defense do wrong? Oh, my heavens. Um, you know, I was not I was not following uh, this case until until recently I started kind of looking into it. And for those who are not, well, I'll do it this way. For those who are not sure what Jim from South Carolina is talking about, there are about a half dozen ways that I could title the headline of a story about this case in Texas, each of which has more than a kernel of truth to it, but each of which leaves you thinking something different. So Mary Langston, we're going to have a little thought experiment. Okay. Okay. I'm going to give the headline. And I think that every one of these would pass in terms of being accurate enough for a headline. So I'll do it like this. Mm -hmm. One armed man shoots another. Man retrieves gun after another man points large weapon at him. Man shoots another man who was simply holding a gun. Man approaches car with large weapon. Man shoots military veteran. Military veteran shoots military veteran. Military veteran shoots protester. Man shot trying to improve justice system. Man who served country shoots armed Black Lives Matter protester. Man armed for self-defense gets shot by motorist. I think every one of those headlines would pass a polygraph. But they leave you thinking something different. This was a trial. It was a full-blown trial. And I did not follow, well, even if I had followed it. I mean, come on. It, 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 you got to be the jury is in the courtroom all day, every day. There is no evidence taken that the jury is not privy to. And so the jury um, convicted Sergeant Perry. And the governor of Texas and other elected officials and non-elected people are calling for him to pardon Sergeant Terry. Um, near as I can. T and, and again, look. I didn't watch the trial. I haven't read the transcript. Um, 
if there is no evidence to support the conviction, then actually the judge shouldn't let it go to the jury, period. And there's a point in every trial where the defense stands up and says there is insufficient evidence for the jury to even get this case. Well, it survived that. And then after a verdict comes back, the defense attorney stands up again and says there's insufficient evidence um, upon which the, the jury could base its verdict. And evidently, this case survived that. So I think, um, well, I think because I need to take my own advice, which is advice I give people. I mean, if you don't know all the facts or certainly all the relevant facts, if you didn't watch the examination and cross-examination, I really don't know how you can make up your mind based on headlines. Because, mm. I mean, you can write the headline any way you want to write the headline. I think one may have been active military. The other, I think, if I read correct, was former military. They both had weapons. Uh, one had a bigger weapon than another. But they were both lawfully armed under Texas law. And so there's a tragic loss of life. And now there's a prosecution for murder. I can tell you, having done, well, not to go down memory lane too much, but I prosecuted a case where both victims, both homicide victims, were armed. And the defendant raised self-defense, just like the defendant in the Texas case. So you with me? Both mm -hmm. of the homicide victims, Mary Langston, were armed. And the defendant, who's the only living witness because he shot the other two, he raised self-defense. You with me? Mm -hmm. Not only was the defendant convicted, he is currently. You want to guess where he currently is? Where's where's home currently is? I guess he's still in prison. Well, he's in a very uh, specific part of the prison that we call death row. Mm -hmm. So he's on death row, even though both victims were armed. And he raised self-defense. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> there are elements to self-defense. Every state has different elements. Let's assume there are four elements to self-defense. What if you um, successfully convince the jury, and I don't want to say prove, because the defendant doesn't have the obligation to prove anything. The prosecution has to disprove self-defense. So in the old days, the defendant had to prove self-defense, had to prove four things or five things, because defendants don't have any burden of proof. Uh, they're presumed innocent. The prosecution has to overcome those elements. But let's assume there are five or let's, let's go with four. There are four elements of self-defense. What if the prosecution disproves three of them, but not one of them? Or what if the prosecution disproves one of them, but not three of them? In other words, there are four elements of self-defense, and three of them are with the shooter. What is that? That is an imperfect self-defense. You know what an imperfect self-defense is also called? A conviction. 
if you have to go four for four and you go three for four, that's a conviction. It's an imperfect defense. Mm. So here's what I don't know, Jim. I mean, I, 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 I hate to do the whole, you know, I, I say I hate to do it. I actually don't hate to do it. If you haven't read the transcript, if you didn't watch the trial, if you didn't watch the examination and the cross-examination, if you didn't examine or cross-examine the detectives, the eyewitnesses, and, and like every other case, eyewitnesses are all over the map. One bank teller says the robber was five foot seven. Another bank teller says the robber was six feet four inches. I mean, that's a big difference. But that's what you get with eyewitnesses. Some say the light was red, some say the light was green, and they both believe it until their dying day. But you got you got to go with the eyewitnesses. You got to go with the forensics. I don't know how many shots were fired. This issue comes down, I think, to whether or not the decedent, the person who was shot, uh, raised his weapon. I think I think that's what it would boil down to in the eyes of the jury. But the jury convicted um, the defendant. So I, you know. Why this case makes the news in a country where scores and scores and scores of defendants argue they are actually factually innocent. This would be a legal innocence case. Factual innocence is I wasn't there. I was not there. I didn't pull the trigger. I don't know what you're talking about. I have an alibi. That to me is factual innocence. This is legal innocence in that. There is not that much disagreement over what happened. Some disagreement, not that much. But under the law, I am legally innocent. I mean, there are people all over this country who are sitting in prison who say they are factually innocent. You got the wrong person. I didn't do it. So I, I don't know why this one uh, makes the news more than other. Um, I say I don't know. I think I do know. But we'll probably just... Uh, Leave it right there. I didn't watch a second of the trial. Haven't read a second of the transcript. You got sufficiency of evidence arguments. You, you, I mean, I don't know the elements for self-defense in Texas. Um, you know, look, I spent the better part of two decades standing in front of 12 people, and they usually get it right, but not always. Well, that's good advice, Trey. We don't have all the facts yet, so we'll just see them come out as they come. Yeah. So thank you for answering that. What a way to go that. through life, waiting on all the facts, but I just don't know any other way to do it. It's good advice. It's wise. Well, thank you, Trey, for answering that question. I feel like we're in law class again. We'll be right back after this. We have one more question, and it's from Frank in Florida. He writes, what edition of Count of Monte Cristo do you recommend? He says he likes to read the most unedited original translation of books. Uh, well, first of all, Frank from Florida, thank you for not asking me what the rule against perpetuities is from trust in the states class, because that would other than specific versus general intent, that would be the hardest legal question I could possibly get. And what I thought was going to like a friendly podcast, I did not realize this was going to send me back into the arms of my therapist as I relived three years of law school. Mm. What edition of the Count of Monte Cristo? Well, not French, for sure, um, or I'd still be reading it. 
Um, I did take French in elementary school and I liked it, but it did not like me. So I can't read or speak French at all. And uh, I don't want to give short shrift to Alexandre Dumas co-author or the person that helped him write it, but I, I can't, I mean, Dumas who most people associate with Count Monte Cristo. Mm. But Frank raises a good point. There are different translations of many, many great works. And there are differences in those translations, particularly when you're going from you know, Latin to English or German to English, or, you know, I like the Russian authors, as you know, um, Russia to English. I mean, I, in this case, French to English. I couldn't even tell you which version I read. Um, so this is what I would say. I think what is most important is that we read great works of literature. Mm. Um, read them at least once. I'm trying to make it through, although, you know, I'm running out of time, but I'm trying to. And then once we have read them through once, uh, perhaps then if we really, really love a book, we should go in search of the best translation. I did have a friend who knows that I like crime and punishment. And she gave me, um, she uh, helped me edit one of my books. And so she knows I love uh, Dostoevsky and Tolstoy. She gave me her preferred translations of those great works, which is something I uh, very, very much appreciate. Mm. But I think what's most important is that you read it first. And then go in search of what the experts may say is the truest um, version of French to English that you can find. If you haven't read Account of Monte Cristo, um, and obviously I'm crazy about that book. Um, I quote it from time to time. There's some powerful passages in there and. It's uh, it was a lot of things, but it's also I just can't imagine serving time for a crime that you did not commit. I just cannot imagine that there's a worse feeling. So, well, that was great advice, Trey. I've never read the book, but the movie is one of my favorites, and so and you actually recommended the movie. But thank yeah. you for answering that question too. Yeah, I like the movie too. Um, they're different, actually. They're different. And, um, you know, I remember not to go down memory lane anymore, and I've already been down memory lane, but I remember writing um, an essay on Tom Sawyer when I was in the sixth grade. Uh, I love my teacher, Miss Peeler, in the sixth mm -hmm. grade. She's wonderful. I, I went with the TV version of the ending. And um, and my instructions were not to watch the TV version of Tom <laughs> Sawyer. It was actually to read the book, uh, Huckleberry Finn, I guess, or whatever the book was. The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, mm. whatever the name of the book was. I don't know. I didn't get to the end of it. So I used the television version of the ending. And she was so kind to me as she let me know that based on my ending of it, I had not actually read the book. I had watched the show, uh, but she gave me a chance to read the book. I say that to say there, there are great, great, great movies based on great, great, great books, but there are differences. And in the Count of Monte Cristo, the things that are emphasized in the movie 
are actually not emphasized in the book. And my favorite part of the movie is the relationship between the priest and Edmond Dantes. Mm. And it is not a super big part of the book. So, um, yeah, if you got time, which you probably don't, because you're going to be doing a lot of babysitting for the next 18, <laughs> 20 years. But you know, maybe if the child takes a nap, maybe if Jenny takes a nap, you can read The Count of Monte Cristo. Mm-hmm. And then watch the movie after. Hey, can I say one thing before we go for my mom and you and whoever's left? After, <laughs> yes, after, sir. After I went through my long specific versus general intent answer. Can I say <laughs> one more thing? Yes, sir. Uh, well, it's, I'm not great at this, but but I do mean it. So um, what I lack in creativity, I make up for in earnestness. Uh, graduation is almost here. And I know graduates like money. We all do. But sometimes we can use the $20 better than the graduate can. We have the benefit of, of experience. Uh, we have been their age and they have never been our age. So I say that to say I, I really am convinced that uh, my latest book, Start, Stay, or Leave, can help young people who are wrestling with decisions in life, uh, wrestling with how to define success, um, what to study, where to work, how to balance what we love with what we're good at. And I'm not convinced because I wrote it. I'm convinced because I wish that I had been able to write it when I was a graduate. I wish that I'd read it when I was a graduate, but I didn't. Mm -hmm. I squandered a lot of time. And I, I made a lot of decisions in life that I wish I could kind of reconsider. Um, and I wish I knew enough at, at age 18 or 22 to to write a book about decision-making, but I did not. It took a half a century of decisions made and unmade for me to be comfortable making suggestions to others. But I am convinced that if there's a young person in your life that is graduating and you think, you know, I don't want to give you an Amazon gift card. I don't want to give you whatever young people get these days. I don't want to give you $20. I want to give you a book that if you read it, um, can help you avoid all the mistakes uh, that that old man who used to be uh, the district attorney made. So that's why I wrote it. There's no, I mean, two people don't have to touch the stove to know it's hot. Mm. It's it's enough that I did it, and I can tell you the stove is hot, so don't touch it. <laughs> and you can get books wherever books are sold, and it's also on audiobook as well. Isn't that right, Trey? Uh, I have to trust you on that. I, I assume that it. Yeah, and it's it your is. own voice. It is my own voice, which means, you know, speaking of needing a translation, um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know which language this will ultimately be translated into. I think English was what I intended, but it may not be that that's what came out. So, <laughs> no, I wrote every word of it and I read every word of it. And there is not a movie out of it. Not to get it confused with Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah, no, but you can not, buy the book. Not, there's no movie. <laughs> there's not a movie out yet, but I'm sure that they are in talks with Halle Berry or some other 
a beautiful woman to play the role of my wife. So, and then Matthew McConaughey uh, or somebody like that. Yeah, well, my wife would love that. She might go <laughs> ahead and start in it herself. Matthew McConaughey were in it, so she might. All right. Well, you take care of yourself. I can hear that baby crying in the background. It's time for you to go <laughs> relieve your brother and your sister-in-law and start doing some. What do you charge to babysit, by the way? What are you an hour? It's going to be free. You know me, No, Trey. seriously. No, no, seriously. What do you charge? It'll be free. Free? Mm-hmm. It's my brother. I, well, I got three sister free. <laughs> Did I, you babysit for free? Um, did I babysit for free? My, my sisters. Yes. Yeah. I babysitted my younger sisters for free, but my goal was to do such a lousy job that my parents <laughs> never left the house again. Uh, you know, my, you know, that's you know, not my true. philosophy on that. I used to do that when Terry would like go run an air with our kids. I'd leave soap in their <laughs> hair or let them eat whatever they want. They'd be sitting there with these raw spaghetti noodles in a can of like chocolate syrup, dipping them down in there and eating that. <laughs> and she would walk in and say, I, 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 it really, I can't, I don't, I can't leave the house anymore. <laughs> and my response would be, you're right. You can't, you can't, I don't know how to handle all this. So yeah, that's what you do. You leave soap in their hair. They never ask you to bathe them again. <laughs> that's creative, Trey. Yeah. Well, <laughs> don't tell her. Okay. <laughs> I think she really thinks I just inadvertently left soap in their hair. So <laughs> we'll see. Well, thank you, Trey, for answering all these questions today. And thank you all for sending us your questions. We hope you all have a great week and we'll see you next Thursday, Trey. Yes. Yes, we will. God willing, we'll see you next Thursday. Hope you have a great week. Keep your questions coming. Y'all take care. Listen ad-free with a Fox News podcast plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.